hunger can actually be a really good, helpful thing. One of the spiritual challenges, I think, for us is as we become aware of anger and are realistic about how it's very problematic, to then say, okay, what do I need to do with this? How can I sit with this, work through this in a way that opens me up to the possibilities of God's grace to redirect the energy of anger towards the common good? The Reverend Douglas S. Hardy is Professor of Spiritual Formation at Nazarene Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Doug has earned degrees in psychology as well as theology. He's a practicing minister and spiritual director, and he recently completed the term as president of the Society for the Study of Christian Spirituality. We're speaking today about the provocative and powerful presidential address he recently delivered to members of the Society titled, Toward a Christian Spirituality of Anger. I'm Matthew Wickman of the BYU Faith and Imagination Institute. Doug Hardy, my friend, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming on here to talk to me. Thank you so much. It's good to see you too, Matt. You know, so there are a few things I want to discuss with you uh, on the podcast today, but principally we're here to talk about the address you gave uh, as president of the Society for the Study of Christian Spirituality. And you gave this talk uh, at the um, a conference of the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature back in November, and it's soon to be published in Spiritus, which is the Society's flagship journal. Um, just so you know, I plan to title the episode of this podcast um, "The Spirituality of Dot 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 Anger," uh, because the topic <laughs> of your uh, presidential address, which was anger, was a surprising one in some ways, especially as connected to Christian spirituality. So I guess my first question simply is, how did you decide on that topic? Yes, great question. And um, bottom line, for me, it, it was a matter of vulnerability. So as, as I was uh, trying to make that decision of what to present uh, in the presidential address, there were a number of different topics that came to my mind, things I'm interested in, things I've studied, things I've looked at, but at the end of the day, I just felt uh, a strong inner prompting that, um, Doug, you need to be as real as you can be with this. Mm -hmm. And the most real thing for me in recent years, quite honestly, has been confronting the anger in my own life, trying to make sense out of that in terms of my spiritual journey. So that kind of clinched it for me. Okay. And it's interesting because the year before you gave uh, that address, we actually had an occasion to spend some time together when we were at a conference, at the kind of a pre-conference before this big annual conference. And you'd mentioned you were thinking about talking about anger. So when you actually gave that address, uh, I, was, I was delighted that you did this because I knew it was something you'd been thinking about a lot and very, thinking very lucidly also, I will say. So let, let's get toward that talk. Near the outset of it, um, you quote um, Pankaj uh, Mishra. I hope I said that name correctly. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, that's as, that's as good as I could have said. Okay, it. fair enough. <laughs> um, but you quote, uh, you quote this, this scholar remarking that we live in an age of anger, an age of anger. And that certainly rings true for me, and I imagine for most listening to this podcast, it's a, yeah, this is an age of anger we live in. My question, I guess, for you is whether you um, can think of an era during your lifetime that did not feel like 
an age of anger. If that's hard to do, if, if anger has been with us in our society for a long time, then what is it that makes our present age feel so distinctly like an age of anger? Yeah. You know, I, I don't recall um, sensing or feeling a strong dynamic of anger around me in most of my growing up years, quite honestly. Now, whether that's just a reflection of my own personal development, the specific context in which I grew up, or maybe in fact it does indicate some kind of shift that has gone on. I'm not absolutely sure about that. One thing I I can say is, and and most people who look at this um, from a research perspective would agree, the reality of social media and the ways in which people's messaging can be amplified instantly and exponentially in such a short period of time, I think has certainly made us at least aware, more aware of all of the anger that is in fact in us and around us. It's right. I've certainly, you mentioned social media. An age of anxiety, I think, is also, I think, very much upon us. And that anxiety, yes. I think, is attached to emotions that are other emotions of static, you know. Uh, and and em- by static, I don't mean, you know, kind of stasis. I mean, I mean kind of an, an energy that is uh, unharnessed in some ways. And that uh, amplifies feelings that are somehow negative feelings. And there's been a lot, look, there's been very little question, I think, that, that, that there's been a lot of anger expressed in various ways over the past decade um, in our society that's very palpable to people. Um, what I find interesting is that you said a minute ago that you thought you'd be vulnerable and open, you know, with the society in talking about this subject. Um, and, and you mentioned in your, in your talk, you know, that this that your own coming to terms with the anger that you felt kind of contradicted the self-image you'd cultivated. Um, can you share, you know, kind of how you came to process that sense that you really were quite angry? How did you come to this, it, it, this sense of a conflicting self-image? Yes, th- thank you for uh, your recollection of that. And because that is such an important thing uh, for my own personal journey here, I really grew up and spent most of my early adult life thinking of myself as basically uh, an easygoing, kind of nice guy. And and in fact, uh, there were a lot of things in my own uh, specific religious tradition that tended to cultivate that kind of a self-image as the ideal. Um, anger was not something that was talked about much. Um, and if it was, it was generally This is just something you try to avoid at all costs. So as I began to discover um, the ways that anger was operating inside me personally, it was a little, it was very disruptive. The the window into that for me actually was part of a personal growth, increasing in self-awareness that was triggered by my exposure to the Enneagram. Hmm. And some of our listeners may recognize that term right away. It's it's become fairly popular in recent years, but a a a wisdom tradition and personality typing system that helps one examine some of the inner motivations 
deep inner motivations for how they live. And as I wrestled with and, and came to re rest on, I think this is my key personality type. Lo and behold, one of the key motivators was anger. That was a surprise to me. Okay. Um, that's an important point, right? So it, anger, as it's defined, is kind of a motivational uh, factor in, in one of the types of the Enneagram. One of the questions I have, uh, and perhaps others may have, concerns how broadly or narrowly we're going to define anger here. Because okay? yes, yes. anger can be imagined capaciously as kind of an umbrella emotion that encompasses others. And you mentioned a few in your talk, right? Selfishness, hatred, frustration, jealousy, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it also connects to emotions that are less clearly lethal, you know, drive, you know, you get angry at yourself, you know, ambition, perfectionism, etc. So, so anger can be a general term for a large range of emotions, good and bad, or it can be kind of more narrowly defined, um, you know, it's just, it's just specifically it's anger at somebody or something. When you came to reconcile yourself to the anger you felt, was it anger in that broad, capacious umbrella sense of kind of a, just a deep energy, or was it more specific anger toward things? And was the definition you gave part an important part of your own spiritual awakening to it? Yeah. You know, I think, Matt, it really was both. And I would say, in fact, I think those are uh, inevitably connected with one another okay. because um yeah at, at at in one sense anger is an energy it's a dynamic that is kind of undergirds a lot of things and can bubble up at the same time it always is directed through the specifics of our personality and our culture and contextual realities towards specific persons or groups of people or institutions. And for me, um, I was realizing, regardless of what I might want to say about anger generally or more abstractly, bottom line was it was affecting my marriage. It was affecting my relationship with my kids on the ground. And that is, I think, where I began to just feel the poignancy of it. Yeah, you know, I, when you um, and I began talking about this uh, a year and a half ago, almost now, um, year and three months, uh, I thought to myself, that's interesting, you know, anger. And, and I thought about my own situation. I thought, you know, yeah, that, there are, there are um, manifestations of that, certainly in me, that I would not necessarily have thought to identify as anger until you put a point on it the way that you did in our conversation, then your talk does this even more, your forthcoming article now on this, which I think is really important. And it does affect relationships, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. Were you at an age when you discovered this, um, when you had lots of time to repair? Or did you say to yourself when you found <laughs> it, you know, wow, there's a lot of wander, water under that bridge? Yeah, there, there certainly was a lot of water under the bridge that I hadn't been aware of. So, so again, part of the, one of the spiritual dynamics that I encountered in all of this was what many spiritual writers have identified as awakening, right? Mm. So I, I really was going through a season of awakening to this. Um, but but it was a season in my earlier adult years where, uh, you know, trying to invest in and forge a healthy marriage, 
uh, three young children at home uh, doing doing doctoral studies, teaching, uh, you know, life was full. So so I certainly was not in, in a life position to sort of leisurely explore <laughs> all this. And but but there was a sense in which this has to become a priority. So it really did become probably the major lens through which I was trying to view my discipleship journey and try to be present to God for and open to whatever kind of healing transformation there might be possible in this. Okay. I will say that my experience of you has been uh, somebody who's not in any outwardly sense angry. I mean, you've been incredibly <laughs> gracious, you know, and, and clearly cultivated a lot of virtues uh, that either offset that anger or allow you to, to manage it um, uh, in a way that I find very exemplary. I really do, Doug. Um, now, in the article, uh, you, you, you talk about something, you, you've got research to back this up, that anger is born from one of three conditions that you specify. And I'll quote you here. Um, this is yes. from page, uh, in the manuscript page eight, but you, you write this. Quote, we sense or think that we are being treated unfairly mm -hmm. or what is happening around and to us doesn't conform to what we expected or idealized or, and here's a third option, other people don't change their behavior to conform with our desires for them and our preference for ourselves. Yes. Okay, those three conditions. Is there one of these that you think is most difficult to reconcile in general? And do you identify with one of these more than another? Yeah, I think the degree to which we identify with any or um, even all of those three um sort of ways of describing how anger works on us probably depends a lot on our on our context and our history so for example the first one about unfairness you know i i've had to acknowledge that in so many ways i have lived my life from a position of great privilege and and i think those of us who have at least within broader um, north american cultural context uh, been privileged, we often don't realize the deep degree of unfairness that many people and groups of people confront on a daily basis, which which evokes tremendous, significant anger. So that that wasn't the entry point for me. In fact, that's that's a piece that I've had to really learn more about and become more empathic towards. So I think for me, it was more the discrepancies on the interpersonal level, you know, kind of as as I taught my students and the student, you know, would would express something in a way that I wouldn't have expressed it or they. Uh, approached an assignment that was different than what I had in mind when I, when I gave that assignment, my initial reaction would be, what? What's going on here? D didn't you understand what I was trying to say here? What are you doing? And And in my mind, for so many years, all of that was just justified response on my part without realizing a lot of what was fueling that was an anger that... I was having to deal with a reality that was other hmm. than my interior place of comfort. Yeah. And and what I was hoping to see happen. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think that's a very commonly felt experience, you know, it, it dealing with what is not only other uh than us, but in some ways um 
competing uh, with our worldview or any that I think fuels a lot of anger. Uh, That's right. So, so, so Matt, one of the probably the um, felt sense or descriptor that I was more in touch with at the time would have been, oh, I'm so disappointed. You know, so so yeah. Oh, I'm disappointed in this student, or or you know, I'm disappointed with my spouse. You know, why why didn't she catch on to what I was wanting or intending in this situation, or or disappointing with disappointed with something one of my kids did? You know, and kind of like oh, you know, come on now, I gave you clear instructions. Why didn't you follow through? Right, disappointment, and and I think that was. That's important because disappointment is an important thing to be attuned to and pay attention to. But again, what I failed to see so often was the disappointment was just, that was just like the front porch. (laughs) And what what I needed to do was cross through that disappointment to see the anger that was driving that in ways that were fueling unrealistic and unloving expectations of other people. That's such a great observation, Doug. That's really good. Take disappointment, for example. Disappointment, you know, I, I can imagine you know, God being disappointed with things that his <laughs> children do, his creation. Right? <laughs> that, that, that's not a difficult uh, thought. Um, but disappointment, you know, underneath it, that, that phrase, that front porch, you know, mm-hmm. for something else. I think a, for a lot of us, that disappointment does lead to kind of an anger, which I don't think is the m- most... Uh, advanced, certainly not the most Christ-like emotion that we can feel. Not that Christ didn't feel anger. And in fact, I, I, I'll, this is a good segue. You, you yeah. mentioned um, uh, in your essay a series of stages in dealing with the anger that you that you felt, that you recognized in yourself, right? So in a mindful way, the first step was to become aware of it, right? Yep. Uh, disappointment yes, right. Is, a, is a front porch it's for anger. As an example, <laughs> it's mindfulness. That was the first step. Second step, you began to see anger as a problem. This is a problem I've got to address. Mm-hmm. But then, right, here's where it gets most interesting to me. Then you discerned in the anger an opportunity to receive grace, yes. right? And then you became aware of it as an opportunity for others to receive grace. Okay, so mindfulness of anger, uh, uh, anger as a problem, that's all familiar. But the last two... Anger as opportunity for grace for us and for others. That's a, that's a more nuanced principle. Can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, well, uh, hopefully, too, it's a hopeful piece in this. Yeah. At least it was for me, right? Um, very often when it comes to the negative emotions, um, so not only anger, but but think about things like, well, you mentioned anxiety earlier. That's such a key for so many of us. Uh, anger, uh, uh, anxiety, depression, um, sadness, things that we tend to view as sort of the negative emotions, oftentimes the way in is through experiencing it as problematic in some way. Um, and, and then we get stuck there. So in our case, so anger is a problem. Well, what do you do with problems? You try to get rid of them, <laughs> you know, or you try to solve the problem as as if what you're experiencing in the moment is the fullness of it and what needs to be dealt with. But I think the the certainly the scriptural witness and the testimony of, of lots of Christian saints across the centuries, but also people from other religious traditions and increasingly now, the um, 
the the information that we're getting from people in the sciences, uh, think uh, thinking of psychology in particular, are saying to us, no, wait a minute, uh, anger can actually be a really good, helpful thing. Um, so so hmm. one of the spiritual challenges I think for us is as we become aware of anger and are realistic about how it's very problematic to then say, okay, what do I need to do with this? How can I sit with this, work through this in a way that opens me up to the possibilities of God's grace to redirect the energy of anger towards the common good? That's such a really, that's such an important point. Let me pick up on that here. I know that in my own case, um, you know, if 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 God wants to intervene in my life in some way to make me aware of something, it can happen in various ways. But there are two that are kind of most prominent. I find one is that I'm the beneficiary of some kind of blessing. You know, where I can recognize that this is such a this is a grace of God. I am grateful for this. The other is through some kind of calamity, you know, where I say, mm -hmm. yeah. wow, you know, I, I feel broken by this. And in the brokenness, yeah. I turn to God. Um, anger seems to me to recognize anger. And when I see that increasingly in myself, partly through, you know, your wisdom on this subject, I say, okay, Matt, this is not a blessing that I'm okay. I'm feeling this. This is this is a function of my brokenness. Um, are there steps for you in both recognizing that anger as opportunity for grace, and how you be able to convert that feeling into uh, something which is born good fruit for you? Right, right. Oh, wow, such a such a good practical question. Um, so. What I have found in my own journey is that there really is um, quite amazing power in recognizing the anger in the moment, naming it, mm. ideally out loud if you can, you know, so whether, you know, naming it to myself, if I'm with someone to be honest and vulnerable in the moment and name it directly with the people I'm with. And then certainly for persons of faith in all that, beginning to name it honestly and openly before God, mm. um, that, I mean, that, that there's more to it than just that, but I wouldn't want to underestimate the power of that, that I think that really is where transformation starts to begin. Um, so naming it and then, and then just sitting with it and just staying with it, not rushing to dismiss, not certainly not rushing to condemn uh, or, you know, deprecate, but hey, this is what it is. Openness, uh, you know, um, hands out, palms upward openness here it is here it is and in that just simple act of naming and waiting i believe the spirit of god begins to come in and meet us to correct some of the negative messages we've attached to anger like anger is always bad uh, if i'm angry it means i'm a terrible person um, and instead to hear the god the voice in the present experience, the presence of the God who understands anger deeply because the scriptures do witness to us that 
you know, in ways that sometimes can be complicated and challenging. Nonetheless, it's like, okay, so God, God gets angry. God, God embraces anger in some way. This is not a foreign thing. And therefore, God is willing to work with us on this. I love that. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's great, Doug. Thank you. Let me, let me go back to something you mentioned a, a minute ago. We were talking about the bases of anger, and you mentioned uh, the kind of unfairness to which you've not been yes. subject to learn about this. I'm going to quote another observation you made in your talk, which is like really, really good at, about how anger can be state-sanctioned. Okay, anger. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm, just, yes. I'm, I'm quoting you again here. Okay. From yep. a societal perspective, anger can become state-sanctioned or channeled through the judicial system, amplifying the kinds of abuses that we see on the personal and interpersonal levels into large-scale violence, but also often using that force to preserve a status quo that discriminates against those without power and on the margins. It's not simply angry people using an allegedly neutral, unbiased system for personally malevolent ends. Rather, it's all kinds of people, sometimes angry, sometimes not, operating within systems that embody a structural anger directed against those perceived to be a threat, them, not us, those of less value seen to be a drag on society. Okay, that's a really powerful passage, and it's a really important point. How have you managed to reconcile yourself to the reality that you are, as you pointed out earlier, in some ways, the beneficiary of state-sanctioned hmm. anger and not just its victim? Yes, yes. Um, this is very uncomfortable for me, Matt, to be honest. It, um, it's, it's, and it's troubling to me and and I hope it always will be troubling for me so so here's another maybe example of the ways in which it might be important to um, sh uh, be be open to a spirituality to be open to uh, for those of us who operate within the Christian traditions specifically to to a, a path of Christian discipleship if we could put it that way that really is open to the importance of negative emotion as constructive so not only anger constructive but um my own uncomfortableness and being disturbed by the anger of others who have been treated unfairly right to to say that's that, that's okay i that i need to be open to experience that to feel that, to let it begin to work on me so I don't forget. So one, one of the beneficiaries, I think, of the dynamic of anger in and between us is that it keeps us in touch with our bodies physically, which often are signals where something's wrong, <laughs> you know, but also to um, using the Apostle Paul's wonderful image of the, 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 the Christian community as the body of Christ. Yeah. Anger keeps us in touch with the body of Christ mm. when there's needs that are not being addressed, when there is injustice that's being perpetrated. And then certainly not only uh, for our in-group, but the whole world that God created and loved, wherever there is injustice and oppression, anger is usually the initial way in 
to truly mm. being aware of it and then having the opportunity to channel constructive energy, whether it's through protest, whether it's through uh, trying to change uh, policies, you know, through legislation, or, or and, and we need to not underestimate this, um, energizing the move to be present in solidarity. Mm. and empathy and empathy i think that's a really important point doug right the ways that anger is um an identifier of a problem in the larger body politic you know or the body yes. of christ yes. right uh yes. or, the, or the individual body right we feel yes. it right you know the body keeps the score as a vessel vander exactly. uh, says exactly. my, my wife loves quoting him my, my wife the therapist yeah yes um, uh, that's such a, good that's stuff a, yeah and that's a really <laughs> really good point right um and then the anger can be converted into better ends i mean I, I love the quote from aristotle you you shared in your talk that's in your forthcoming article um you quote this insight you know so anyone can become angry that's easy <laughs> but to be angry with the right person at the right time <laughs> and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everyone's power and is not easy. Yeah, fair enough, right? Um, yes. Toward the end of the talk, you list some really helpful suggestions for handling anger at the levels of individual mind, mindfulness, so the individual level, mm, at the yeah. social systemic level, and then also yeah. in terms of Christian practice. And can you give us an example, um, maybe from these categories, as to what that means to handle anger individually, socially, or as a Christian? Sure, absolutely. So um, so let's start with uh, more of the individual mindfulness, um, which I think is is something I've been trying to learn more about. And and again, this is, this is one of those areas, very inter interesting to see that this is where both explicitly religious communities and the broader culture through uh, science and research and clinical therapeutic uh, kinds of professions are really converging to all agree on this. That, you know, becoming more mindful is is really just helpful. Like, yeah. you know, you it's like you can hardly go wrong by trying something in this area. And and there's one, one uh, great tradition within um, the Christian tradition called centering prayer. That might be an example of this, right? So so um, as Christians who have met, perhaps grown up experiencing prayer primarily as, you know, you're talking to God, right. you're asking God for things, yeah, you're focusing yeah. on other people, right? Petitions, intercessions, all that kind of stuff, right. which is good. Yeah, sure. Um, to, to balance that out with times for quiet listening. Yes right, can be an example of, so in my own personal quiet prayer practice, that's often where I get in touch with my anger mm. because, because that form of prayer allows me the, it allows the opportunity for it to merge and to look at it and, and to, and then to welcome God's loving gaze with me and non-condemnation in, in the moment. I love that. Um, I love that. Um, in terms of more structural societal anger, um, a, a key practice there, I think, would be, and I mentioned this earlier, protest. Um, we're, we're observing uh, Black History Month, 
right here here in the United States right. this month, and uh, how appropriate to be reminded on a yearly basis of the ways in which um, the African American communities have uh, embodied anger in such uh, tragic but also critically important ways for that we all can learn from and benefit from, right? And so protest is a way of channeling anger where one recognizes, you know, I'm angry because there's something wrong here that needs to be changed. And I want to actually get my body on the line in some way. So I protest. Even even if that protest is writing writing a letter to a congressperson, right. for example. And then the third category, I think that you had mentioned, Matt, was more some of the more specifically religious practices that might help us with tra- becoming uh, let, allowing our anger to become transformed in constructive, uh, fruitful ways. And pr- probably uh, one there that might be most helpful for most of us in these days is lament, the practice of lament, which we see in the script, uh, the scriptures, particularly in uh, the Hebrew Bible, uh, with the Psalms and uh, the prophets. Right. So God's people together lamenting what is wrong and honestly offering up that grief, sadness, and anger to God, sometimes in accusatory ways, right? Yeah. Like, God, how could you, yeah. right? Um, but important uh, for the community to get its bearings for how to live and act and respond towards those things that are truly wrong. This is great counsel, uh, Doug. It's really, really, it's really rich. I I'm commend this article, uh, which will appear in Spiritus uh, uh, to to listeners. Uh, it's fantastic, and the fact that journal Spiritus is a wonderful journal, um, full of really rich uh, stuff on this kind of thing, and and, and really a diverse uh, array of things that touch on the spiritual life. Um, let me. We're getting toward the back end of our time here. I want to manage ask something of you, right? So. Um, sure. So back in uh, about almost a year and a half ago, November, 20, November 2021, um, mm-hmm. we roomed together for a couple of nights while attending a conference of our society, right? The Society for the Study of Christian Spirituality. Yes. And this was a juncture of transition for me in my life. I was in my last year as a director of a research center, right? I was in the waning months of a heavy ecclesiastical responsibility in my religious community. My wife and I were fairly recent empty nesters, and I had... I was going into another phase of life and had no real interest in just returning to old parts of my life, but I had no clear sense what was in front of me. And we, you and I, we had some conversations that were very meaningful to me, and um, which shouldn't be that surprising that they were meaningful, given that you serve as a spiritual director. Right? So you're <laughs> you're good at you're trained at meaningful conversations. <laughs> I guess my question for you is: Do you employ that training on yourself, or do you still? Sp- seek spiritual direction from others oh my yeah great question and i can answer without hesitation i i continue to need that from others in fact uh, one of the ways that i've come to phrase uh, the practice of spiritual direction in my own life is that it is one of my primary means of grace Mm. So cer- certainly, I I do benefit from being a spiritual guide to others, but um, more importantly, uh, I need that from others towards me, for the very reasons that we're talking about, 
um, today, Matt, right? So getting in touch with um, the role of negative emotions in one's own personal life uh, and how that connects to a life of prayer mm. or a life of service to others. Yeah, I, those are things we have so many blind spots. We need someone else who can come along and help us to process that, to deal with that. And also too, to keep us from to help keep us from becoming selfishly preoccupied in ways that are hurtful to ourselves and that keep us from connecting more widely through relationships with the people in our world, especially those who are different from us, mm -hmm. that we need in order to fully understand, embrace, and live out the great love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you, Doug. I love that. So um, I'll leave you with this question here, right? So you finished your term of service as president of the Society for the Study of Christian Spirituality, and you served in that role in great energy and, and I think, vision for the society. So now, I mean, that's over. Uh, you know, what awaits you in your work or life over this next season? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've reflected on that quite a bit in recent months, as you might imagine. And one, one, probably the first thing I'd want to say is that um, this, being involved in the society uh, for the study of Christian spirituality has been a wonderful um, experience of community for me that has stretched for years long before I became involved in the executive leadership and will continue. And so there's a real sense of gratitude, I feel, that even though you know my official term has ended, I don't feel like that's a door closing so much as now living into new ways of continuing to be a part of that community. Um, and I'm grateful for the ways that um, um, academic work, um, as you and I have been called to, right? is is one way it's not the only way of course but it's one way in which we can find our vocation and live out our calling and connect meaningfully with other people and so i plan to continue to do that through um taking the initial research i've done on anger i'd like to pursue it a little further maybe being more inclusive with some of the other quote unquote negative emotions to mm. see how they might also relate to Christian spirituality in particular. Um, and then um, as a spiritual director, um, uh, learning more about the work of supervision in that practice. That's another growing edge for me that I think um, hopefully can help me to be more aware as I am helping to supervise, particularly spiritual directors in training, right, to keep really attuned to my own anger and other negative emotions that can be evoked when we're in conversation together and hopefully help them to be more comfortable with that as important energy in their own lives um, that can enhance their work as spiritual directors. Well, you have uh, a number of important things to share with people, Doug, both you know as a function of your training and also your spiritual gifts. I, Thank you for sharing those gifts uh, this morning uh, with me in this conversation on our podcast, and blessings to you. You are most welcome, Matt. It's been a privilege. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith and Imagination Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Faith and Imagination Institute, the BYU Humanities Center, and the College of Humanities at Brigham Young University, and is produced and edited by Sophia Snyder and Bobby May. The music for this podcast is composed by Ethan Wickman and is performed by Nicholas Phillips and Albany Records. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast platform. And if you're interested in other episodes, check out our website at humanitycenter.byu.edu. Thanks again for listening.